Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Awesome, we've got a lively audience today. This is good. Um, like Pastor Eric said, my name is Ethan. I happen to be his nephew and also have impeccable style. That's right. Um, I was always taught by him, um, him being like a preaching mentor, that um, always uh, good pastors always have to wear their jean jackets and black attire. Um, if you've ever watched the live stream, it was probably me running it. That's usually where I'm parked on Sunday morning. So now you know who you can blame or praise um, for the epic live stream. Um, uh, my pastor and my uncle, Eric, asked me to preach once or twice a year, and I love it. I've loved preaching for a very long time when, you know, when I was a little kid, going up to my youth leader and saying, hey, can I, can I speak sometime? And they're like, sure. Um, and then I really fell in love with it when I was at college at Athelbis or the Free Lutheran Bible College, whatever name you prefer. We were taught it was always good to start a sermon with a good personal story that just like really illustrates what you want to be talking about. So I was trying to think of a good story to illustrate um, how Jesus interacts in our lives, and I couldn't come up with a good scenario. I could only come up with a possible sinful story. Um, so without further ado, this is a purely hypothetical, purely hypothetical um, situation. So let's say when you were about six and a half years old, um, you had a group of friends that would hang out at your church when they were meeting in a movie theater and look behind every single seat for loose coins. Now, one day, your little brother asks if he could join, and you graciously tell him yes. But you also tell him that in exchange for him hanging out with your friends, you will give him every single brown coin you find if he gives you every single silver coin he finds. And so we had this beautiful agreement between two parties. He would give me all the pennies and I would get all the silver coins. And it worked out because he got a lot more coins than me, hypothetically, um, than me. Um, I made one mistake, though. I told my dad my wonderful idea. And he told me that I was wrong. And then if I wanted to continue looking for coins, if he wanted to let me continue looking for coins... He told me that I had to let my brother keep whatever he wanted. Now that agreement, that deal was not as fun for me. But as we look at, into the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, I think we will see a similar type of agreement and we will explore how we interact with that. Uh, let's pray. Um, dear God, um, you are so great. Your word is so good and there's so much that we can learn from it. And I pray that uh, today is one of those days that we can learn from your word, that it can help change our lives and change how we interact with you and how we view our relationship with you and the world. Amen. A reminder that the flood has just happened. God has just wiped out the world. They were really bad. And Noah um, has just made a sacrifice to God. And now God starts Genesis 9 by blessing Noah and his family. Let's look at verse 1. The blessing starts with, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
which makes sense since the population has you know, kind of been reset. And God told Adam and Eve the exact same thing, in fact. Um, in these first few verses, we're going to see an exact parallel to Adam and Eve, the commands that God gave to Adam and Eve that he's now giving to Noah and his family. The part that I'm most interested in, though, is the fact that be fruitful and multiply is a blessing. It is a blessing for to, to desire to have kids. It is a blessing. For those of you who have kids, you know what it is a blessing, uh, what a blessing it is to have them, so I hear. As a newly married man, I look forward to one day having kids of my own and raising them to love Jesus and ra- raising them to bring more Jesus-loving pe- people into the world. It is a blessing to be tasked with raising the next generation of Christ followers. So to anyone who wants kids or wants more kids, I want to tell you that it is a blessing to have that desire. It is a good desire to bring before the Lord. The blessing continues in verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. This is the same thing as take dominion over every moving thing that Adam and Eve had. It is a blessing that we are responsible for this world and to manage it. But the best part of this blessing is that we get to eat meat, in my mind. This is the first time that God has said, hey, those animals, if you're hungry, go for it. I suspect God has planned for this. But also, I, I, think, I think the reason God institutes this now is the ground probably isn't great for, you know, um, planting things after a flood. And so now we get to eat meat. And in fact, that's how the dinosaurs went extinct. They were very tasty. Don't fact check me on that. Now let's talk about blood. Verse four. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Blood in the Bible is a very important symbol. It... Um, is it, and this is the first uh, instance where God institutes this importance. God explains the importance of blood. He explains that blood is its life. Life is blood. And because of that, we are not to eat an animal with its blood still in it. This rule God sets up points to atonement, forgiveness through animal sacrifice. That's, this is a system where God says, guys, I know you've, you've messed up. But if you want to be forgiven, the animal's blood will cover your sins. In the book Leviticus, where God sets up animal sacrifice, blood is talked about 50 times. There's 50 verses that mention blood. And the word blood is in in that book 65 times. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for the blood is what makes aton- for the bl- for it is the blood that makes atonement by its life this also spoiler alert points to Jesus and his blood which we now actually drink in a form of communion right we see we see blood is very important now that's animal blood what about human blood verse 5 
And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, and I will require it from, from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You can see that God is really setting the ground rules here after he had to wipe out all of humanity. He says that I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. That sounds very serious. And it is. Because God made man in his own image. Okay. You've probably heard that before many times if you've been in church. Or if you've been in church just a week, you've probably heard God made man his own image. Woohoo, yay. But I want to say it again. God made you in his own image. That means when he looks at you, he sees himself. He sees a piece of himself. He sees his workmanship. When he looks at you, he sees someone he designed after perfection. God saw perfection in himself and created you with that image. Well, you might say, look how far I've come. I am nowhere near that perfection anymore. That perfection that God intended for me, I've, I've messed that up. And to you, I would say, it's probably a healthier mindset than the rest of the people who heard me say that God in, um, in, intended perfection for you and go, yep, that's me. Perfect. I look in the mirror every day and it's, it's beautiful, it's perfect. That's, that's what we call pride. This truth of God seeing you in his, in his image is the reason it saddens him so much when we sin. Because he intended us for perfection. Look how far we've come. I'll let you chew on that, but there is still much, much more to come. Verse seven. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. Multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, the, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, for it is, every, for, it is for every beast of the earth. Now, our word for the day is covenant. Someone say covenant. Wow, that was good. A covenant is in, is it, it's an intimate relationship. It's, it's also an agreement. It's, it's a promise. It's a partnership between God and a human with the purpose of bringing others into that covenant. Kind of giving a lot of definitions here because we don't have a perfect picture in our today's world of what a covenant is. But it's, it's an agreement, it's a partnership with the, with the goal of bringing more people into this partnership. A covenant is where God makes a promise. In exchange, we make a promise. For instance, God tells us that when we die, we, if we are perfect, we will spend eternity with him. That's the covenant in the garden, right, with Adam and Eve. We broke that one. And so then God made a new covenant. And since he knew his people would fail, he, he mentioned, like we mentioned earlier, he had animal sacrifice for atonement. 
the Ten Commandments. That's a covenant. I think, I think it's easy to understand the business deal side of a covenant. Shake hands, yes, I'll do that if you do this. But it, it's, it's much more than that. You might have heard the term marriage covenant. Marriage is a covenant. We make vows. I made a vow to my wife, Madeline, and she made one to me, and it would grieve one of us if the other broke it. It would hurt us deeply if the other broke that covenant. Covenants are very serious. They usually have a ceremony or a sign to go with it, like a wedding and a wedding ring. Weddings are, a covenant is kind of like a wedding in some way, where I make a promise, God makes a promise, and we're together, and it would break our hearts if we broke apart. This covenant is the first of four times in the Old Testament that God announces and creates a covenant, although there are other times God creates covenants that he didn't really announce, but we can kind of tell they're covenants. This first covenant is kind of weird, though. See if we can figure out why. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Did you catch it or lack there of it? There wasn't a promise needed by Noah and the rest of humanity to be a part of that covenant. God just says, you can have it. You can just have it. It's because God wants everyone to be a part of this covenant. So that's probably... Probably means God isn't going to do a full lawyer on us, go for a lawyer on, full lawyer on us and use a fireball instead of the flood. That would be bad. You know, God's like, hey, I said no flood, but you guys have been bad. Although, look at this world. Doesn't it kind of need one? Like, it's really bad. We look, look at all the things we've already messed up just in this first chapter. God has reset the world. Let's see, let's see how humanity is doing with just the few com- simple commands in this chapter. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a blessing to have kids. Now we have abortions. And some people celebrate them. God says, take dominion over the earth and, and animals and manage them well. Manage the resources of this earth that I have given to you well. Look at how we're destroying this world. We're not managing resources well. We're killing animals by the thousands, and they can be really gross. God gave us a beautiful thing of meat that we get to eat, and I don't think we're handling it the way God intended. We're having wars that blow things up and, and just, just, just ruin sections of beauty that God intended on this earth. We aren't to eat animals with their lifeblood still in them. And yet sin still creeps in and the human desire just to corrupt things happens. And now there's pagan religions that eat animals alive. That is disgusting. We're told that the lifeblood of humanity is sacred and isn't to be shed. Yet we have murder and violence every day. Just turn on Facebook. And we guide women who are in, their, in the most troubled situations that need help in the most desperate state to get an abortion without talking about the grief 
and the shame that will come with it because it's a quick solution. We're in a world that has quick solutions. Oh, there's gun violence? Just ban them. Just ban the guns. Oh, there's a school shooting? Shooting? Give the teachers guns. Oh, there's a bad police officer? Just defund the police. Oh, if you don't like how COVID was handled, vote for me. If there's something wrong in my community or just in general in the world, it is the other political party. I am sure of it. There's a lot of quick solutions. And I can think of one more that if I was a God of justice and I saw how messed up this world is, and I do, I can think of another quick solution. A quick solution might be a fireball. Although one can say, yeah, this world isn't ideal and there are some other bad people. But does that get give God the right to have condemnation? Did God even have the right to flood the earth the first time? Let me put it to you this way. Let's say you've just finished building your dream house. You spent a lot of time on it. You spent a lot of time planning and making sure it's perfect. Then something goes wrong. Your most prized possession, your little ant farm. Your ants have decided the house isn't nice enough for them. And they start to break out. And they start running all over the place. If you had a beautiful house and you have ants in them, you know what you do? You go get some ant killer because they're messing up your beautiful house. We are like those ants. God created us in his image and tells us to live within the boundaries he created us in so that we can spend eternity with him. All we have to do is stay within the boundary of perfection. And then we failed. And God said, Okay, follow my laws, and the blood of animals will forgive your sins. We still failed. Now here we are. Not perfect, but we do our best. Is that what you tell yourself? It's what I tell myself sometimes. I'm doing my best, though. But I don't really do my best. I'm not trying to be patient with my wife all the time. Sorry, Madeline. I don't try and love my friends and family the way God loved me, sacrificing. I don't, I don't even live like Christ. Living like Christ isn't about, isn't about being good enough. It's about being perfect. That's who Jesus was. I want to live like Jesus. Are you actually trying, though? I don't know if I do. Maybe you're offended by me saying humanity Humanity to God is like ants to us. And you could have the reason because God loves us and we don't love ants. But that makes it worse. Hopefully, I've made it clear that there's no way the reason God loves us is because we're so great. We're not that great. I'm not that great. I hope you don't think you're that great for God to love you, right? Oh, I do so many amazing things but we are also sinful and broken. God still loves us, though. I've struggled, out to, I've struggled to figure out the best way to communicate like how far apart we are from God in our standing in worth and value. Here, here goes. God created everything. Everything, okay? If I could create matter out of nothingness, I'd be a billionaire, and you guys and the rest of the world would worship my genius, okay? I can't do that. God can create everything. He can create matter. He can create the existence of things. 
He can create gold. He can create beauty. He can create distance. Distance didn't exist. Space didn't exist before God decided to put it in. God invented time itself. God is outside of time. Do you understand that? No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't understand it, okay? Neither do I. God is outside of that. God invented love. I feel love because God ordained this world for me to be able to have that joyous feeling. I get to love my friends, my family, my wife because of God. And yet we use his name as a swear word. We commit sin and just say, oh, he'll forgive me later like he's our butler. We don't love him enough to pray to him once a day. We wish he didn't even exist. Have you ever thought, man, life would be easier if God wasn't here right now. Man, this would be easier if I didn't feel as guilty. If I was God, I might have a quick solution. Yet here we are. Good thing I'm not in charge. This is what the God who is in charge says. Verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and all the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, remember, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between, you, between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. God says, I set my bow. Not just a rainbow, although that's what it means. He says, I set my bow. God hangs his weapon of war in the clouds so that after rain we will not be terrified, but we will be amazed by its beauty. That is a covenant. And what grace it is. What grace. What undeserved favor. God knew the world would fall apart once again. Yet he didn't decide to start over again. He decided to, in fact, give us new covenants. He tried to meet us more than halfway. Now you might say, Ethan, that doesn't make much sense. What good does it do for God to keep us around? And to that I would say, thank you. That sets up my final point perfectly. It doesn't do God any good. God is already perfect. There's no gap we can fill in him. He doesn't need anything. And there's nothing we can give him that is anything of measurable value compared to his greatness. He can just create any gift we can give to him. But we can give him what he has decided is worth value. God has decided to give something on this planet immeasurable value, which is not because itself is great, but because God has assigned it value. God has given you and your soul 
value, even when it is broken. You are valuable to God, even when you're broken. Even when you've broken all of his laws. So he decided to make a new covenant. Even though we are broken, we've broken all the previous covenants. Since we can't keep our end of the deal by being perfect or following all of his laws and doing the animal sacrifice thing, which can get really complicated, God sends Jesus to fulfill all the conditions of the old covenant, the Old Testament and its laws, so we can just receive the promises of heaven. We're no longer like this. We're not, God and us aren't, aren't, aren't fighting anymore. Jesus comes in and he, and he fulfills all of that so that we also can come into covenant with him. He does this, Jesus does this, not by erasing the old covenant, not by erasing everything in the Old Testament, but by fulfilling it. You remember the way of forgiveness was achieved through the Old Testament was through animal sacrifice. Their blood would cover our sins. God saw the, God saw the fault in that covenant. It wasn't on his end. It was on ours. It was our inability to fulfill the promise to God. But God takes it under his responsibility to bring a new covenant. We keep messing up and God goes, guys, he doesn't really apologize, but he goes, guys, Sorry, we'll get rid of that one. I'll give you a new one. This is what Hebrews 9, 13 through 15 says. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself blameless to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator. He comes in between. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he died now that he died for a ransom to set free from the sins committed under the first covenant Jesus takes our place he takes our place in the old covenant by fulfilling my role by fulfilling your role in God's agreement this is like the story I said at the beginning where my little brother, you know, just went and worked for me and I just reaped the reward. It was really nice, hypothetically. Why would God do this for us? Again, it, it, it's not because we're so great. I think, I think I've made that clear. It doesn't make sense at all. All I can think of is that we're made in his image and that he has assigned us value. Even though I'm broken, I broke his image. I don't think I look much like him anymore. Besides that I have a brain <laughs> that I use to commit evil. Yet God still loves. That's awesome. I still don't fully comprehend. We, we broke his creation. 
We curse him every day with our actions. But if you want, you can say it with me. God still loves. So you find yourself feeling that lost and brokenness. God offers you a covenant relationship of forgiveness to you. And you can just have it. Like the one you're experiencing right now of God not flooding the earth. You can just have it. This is a covenant where you do not need to do anything to be a part of it. Jesus fulfills all of your requirements so that you can live in perfect harmony with him, completely forgiven, even when you mess up. This covenant isn't a covenant that you can just break again. Covenants, usually, you can break them. Now, just because Jesus takes all the requirements doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want and pretend that God doesn't exist, okay? Romans chapter 6 presents this perfectly. I'll read it. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient servant, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to forgiveness? But, God, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to stand to, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We're still in a covenant marriage with God. Like a regular marriage, he asks us to do things. Nowhere in my wedding vows did I say I would do chores. Okay? Nowhere. I I double-checked the video. But I'm still going to do them. Not because I don't want my wife to be mad at me, but because I love her. I'm still going to do things in our covenant relationship, our covenant marriage, because I love her. And I'm committed to this relationship. I don't want it to break apart. We should do that in our relationship with God as well. Just because God has forgiven us doesn't mean we're not in relationship anymore. So how do we live in a covenant relationship with God? Now, the cop-out answer is read the Bible and do what it says. So I would like to say read the Bible and do whatever it says, but I'm also going to suggest... We need to have two ways to view the world, and if we can view the world properly and use God's wisdom to view it, I think we'll we'll act upon it correctly. First, we need to see that this world is not okay. It is fallen and evil, and it needs to be redeemed. Two, we need to see that we are a part of this fallenness in this world. I'm a piece of that, and we need to be redeemed. How do we handle these? First, partner with other covenant members. Find other people who are members of this covenant of God's and unite under the commands of God. I'm describing church, so good for you to be here. Glad you're here. But Mosaic doesn't just exist for you and me to listen to some awesome music and a sermon. The church is the only organization that exists for the people not in it. Like a covenant. We want to bring others into this covenant, like Jesus brings us into this covenant and says, you can just have it. So so we should be a part of bringing more of God's goodness here on earth through loving people 
and being a resource to those who are hurting. I'm so glad that each of our community groups this, this season are going to be doing a service project. We're going to be serving our community. We're going to be trying to bring more of God's goodness to earth. Also, I'm pretty sure you don't have to be a part of the community group to ask if you can join and see if you can help with those, with those projects. That's a good thing. So good job, Mosaic. Let's, let's keep going. And I don't know if you can tell, but abortion has been really on my heart lately. So I'd like to commission us to be a place that supports the women going through their darkest moments, either before or after abortion. Because I believe abortion ruins more than just one life. Amen. How do we deal with our struggle with fallenness, even though we are forgiven? That's important too. I'm gonna invite the band to start coming up. We need to start by realizing and knowing that we are loved by God. If you're a part of this covenant relationship that God says you can just have, you're already forgiven, but you need to know it. Start by realizing that we are more loved by God and nothing can separate us from that love. Even more sinning, okay? Even when you fall back into your fallenness, Jesus still loves you. The verse I use to remind myself of this truth is Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think every Christian needs to memorize an assurance of salvation verse. You need to have a verse that when you're struggling with realizing how fallen you are, and maybe you're tempted to to think, oh, God doesn't really love me anymore. You need to be able to have a verse in scripture that you can point to and say, God, I know this is true. Devil, go away. Because you're already in community. You're already in a covenant relationship that you can't break if you wanted to. Jesus just says you can have it. Next, spend some consistent consistent time in prayer and scripture with the purpose of asking God to help guide you into the person he wants you to be. Even when you're in this covenant relationship of forgiveness, you're still gonna struggle with sin. I know I do. But when we pray and we ask God and we ask the Holy Spirit to help guide us, he starts in his sanctification, the process of being made holy. We won't ever be holy. We won't ever reach perfect holiness here on earth. But this is, this is the life of a covenant member. Holy Spirit works in us to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more Christ-like. And then by the grace of God, when we die, God will restore us to the perfection he intended. It's not too late to join this covenant. If you have not had a moment where you ask God, God, please just give me that covenant. Please just give me your promise of your forgiveness. You can ask for it. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Eric. Honestly, you could probably talk to every person who's on stage here and they, they would love to talk to you. This, this is the most important covenant. All the rest lead to this point. Just like the blood, the significance of the blood leads to Jesus. That we now have the covenant reminder, the covenant sign like the rainbow, we have communion. We're gonna take communion in a couple weeks here. And when you take that, just remind yourself, I am in this covenant. I am receiving the blood and the body of Jesus. I'm forgiven. So I wanna say, Jesus still loves, and you can just have it.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.